the tables have turned. How so? So we are the ones with electricity where nobody else is. Yeah. So do you, I, I want to, do you, do you have anything to say about this? I, I am. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a really bad situation. So it's complicated. Really, really I think really it, bad. I think it's really complicated. So I'm going to provide a little bit of nuance and you can tell me where I'm wrong or where I'm being too, cause I feel like sometimes on the show I'm, I'm too corporate friendly or I will generally play devil's advocate on the side of corporations. But yeah, so right now, I think I think they probably scaled back a lot of... Because I know in the North Bay, like a lot of Santa Rosa and places that were supposed to have their power cut off do not. So I think it's less... It's it's fewer than the 800,000 they originally said, but this it's weekend... It's still 450,000. That's, that's a ton of people. And actually, that's that's a count. So that's, there's more people impacted. No, every, every, the Bay, uh, Northern California real estate is cheap, so everybody lives in one house. One person, one house. <laughs> um, I don't think that's how it works. Oh, one laptop for every child. Mm. Um, yeah, it's unfortunately that guy turned out to be a scumbag. Anyway, so for posterity or just for context, if somebody's listening to this in three weeks and will be on the third wave of impeachment hearings or whatever. But so right now it is we are recording this on Oct- uh, Wednesday, October 9th, and the um, electric utility uh, PG&E because of a weird confluence of dry conditions, extreme winds, and a bunch of other stuff has proactively turned off electricity to a very, very, very large um, portion of the state. Um, so this is tricky. I, I, because the, the, the positive spin that you can give this is that you have to ignore a lot of prior history and think of what can they do to reduce the possibility that um, unmaintained power lines or um, extreme weather conditions can cause another fire. And it seems very, very likely that some of the fires of the past three years um, that have been some of the worst in the state's history have been a result of uh, electrical power lines. So that feels like this, if you don't consider decades worth of, um, not as management, but maybe neglect on state infrastructure, this may be the best option. Like, I, I guess I, I'm just, I, I'm trying to get past all like the Twitter hot takes of, uh, yeah, um, that this is the new normal and this is the tech capital of the world and blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, people don't have electricity. I, I just want, I, I want to talk this out for a sec. So I'm I'm entirely with you, and I think you have to, and I think you're doing this, which is smart. You have to separate sort of the long-standing neglect of California's electricity grid overall from the current situation that we're in with this. It's PG&E PSPS is the program. I don't know what the PSPS stands for it's offhand. It's pu- uh, Public Safety Power Shutoff. Got it. Um, obviously the, the two things are highly related to one another, but you, you kind of have to talk about them a little bit separately. And I, I think the, the former is probably beyond the scope of this program, but the, 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 <laughs> both, the current, honest. yeah, true. The current program as it stands now, my biggest issue is not that it's the wrong decision. I, I do think there's a lot of merit in shutting off the grid given the state of the infrastructure as it is kind of assuming that you take that as a given which it is 
However, the execution of this is just awful. I mean, the fact that PG&E is telling people their power can be out from anywhere from a few hours to a few days is just completely unacceptable. I'm not asking for exact hourly windows here, but that type of range is it's just not okay. But is isn't it a result of how weather conditions pan out? Like they can't you can do as much weather forecasting as you want, but if it like if, if the danger still exists and it's impossible to predict, you want to tell people how what the worst case scenario is. That's part of it, but the other part of it too is my understanding is that in areas where they're shutting off the power before they turn power back on, well, they first have to wait for weather conditions to subside. That's true. But then the other thing that they're doing, which I think is actually kind of the, the long pole here, as you would say, what? is they, ha- they have to, you know, the long pole, the, the thing that sort of takes the longest. I've um, never heard of that. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Project well, management I'm, speak. Okay. I'm, uh, <laughs> don't, don't put that on me. Um, <laughs> long pole. All right. Hmm. <laughs> tongue, you tongue all that. Um, the, that um, PG&E actually has to go out and inspect all of the lines um, in the areas where they've shut off power before they can turn the power back on. Which, again, I understand the reasons for that, and I think that's probably the prudent thing to do. But I, I just cannot fathom that the expectation for people is that they have to be without power for days. I mean, you and I are in unbelievably privileged positions where, you know, like the biggest thing we have to worry about is making sure that our, you know, network attached storage device properly shuts itself off, you know, once it gets the signal from its UPS that the power's been cut off. But, I mean, think but about like people, people with medical with devices and medical kids devices, and so- mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's just it's unacceptable to have that type of uncertainty surrounding this whole process. The process is is or the strategy is sound, but the execution has been very poor. So, and in, in to to uh, to piggyback on that, the one part that I will say has been bad is like so they have text message alerts and things you could have configured before that time, but this is one of those things where like it just happened all of a sudden on Monday, where just like in the afternoon, that's just literally any all people in Northern California were talking about. Like just sometimes like those stories go viral, and I understand why it did because this is inconvenient for a lot of people. But their website when that started hitting. Like they had like an expired SSL certificate and their website was down for like most of the evening. So that's not great. So then like sfchronicle.com is like basically the 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 source for that information, which seems um not ideal. Yeah, it's 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 bad. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like it's it's just it's tricky, but my whole thing is like just the like the, the dumb hot takes where like i the reason this is a thing is very multi-layered and people can argue that utilities shouldn't be for-profit companies and this was still a lingering result of deregulation and the fact that the state and private industry does not invest adequately for um the maintenance needed for this not to happen um it's like all that stuff but that like just i i this is why i stay off twitter but it it's it's been on twitter a lot where you just have people just making like just trying to condense three decades worth of very complicated policy decisions that results in this outcome into like 140 characters and like just a dumb snarky joke. And that just, that just bugs the crap out of me. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I would say too, is where were those hot takes five years ago where the underlying problem was still there, but people just didn't have, 
um, kind of this, you know, buzzy story to connect to. Exactly. Like in, in uh, public policy is hard. And also public policy when it's not a government run agency explicitly and you're kind of dealing with um, uh, like private industry as well to provide a public good. And basically the only extent to which the government has a hand in it is sometimes occasional subsidies and then the threat of regulation. Like it, it's it's just tricky. And I don't know. Well, I mean, we you and I took a quarter of public policy. Oh, so we're experts. In fact, in fact, together. So we're experts. Yeah. I, I my, my Medicare plan B. Or sorry, Medi- uh, my under the Bush administration, the Medicare Part B paper I wrote still holds up today. You know, uh, just to kind of tie keep, this we, all we together with, we keep threatening to publish that net neutrality paper, but I, I always get lazy. Well, I was going to say that um, I think this was a couple of shows ago when I was talking about how I have the the handful of hard drives that I think have some uh, schoolwork on them that I haven't been able to recover. Mm-hmm. I think that net neutrality paper was one of the quarters that was impacted by that. So I'm glad that you have it. Oh, of course I keep, I keep everything. We didn't, we, we just, we stayed up late at least one night working on that. Didn't we? We went to the, the you sent a couple times. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think about that. I don't think about UCS anymore. <laughs> uh, whatever it was called. There was some funky coffee shop in the, in, in the you send next to the bookstore. That wasn't ever that good. There's apparently, I didn't look in the details of this, there's apparently a Starbucks, like, right on campus now. Oh, not the one across from that mediocre burrito place? Mm, right. We, we can't go down that tangent. Oh, do you want to talk about Pita Pit? Do you want to talk about super hyper-local Central Coast California uh, <laughs> college shit? Um, the long pole. All right, I gotta do some Googling later. Yeah, well, yeah, be careful what you search for there. I'll keep safe search on. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. I think everybody on the internet has caught on to uh, the the nationals looking like Walgreens. I think that one tweet that we linked to last episode went viral. So now everybody's making yeah. jokes about Walgreens. We we were we were first at co opting somebody else's joke. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm going to um, take some credit with the nationals win tonight because. They had been down 3-1 for quite a bit of time, and it was like, I turned the game on no more than like a minute and a half before they hit their back-to-back home runs to tie the game, and then was also watching when they hit the Grand Slam. So So how do you relate to that? Just, I'm, I'm good luck, I guess. Or just bad luck towards the Dodgers, because whenever I watch Dodger playoff games, they lose, which is great. So I baseball is so far off my radar this season, but um, if the Dodgers are still in it, I want them to succeed so that they can lose because it's 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 more emotionally crushing if they lose the World Series. Yeah, but I've gotten to see them do that two years in a row, so now it's kind of it's it's a change of pace to see them get knocked out in the first round. It's a reverse Showtime Lakers. Yeah, mm-hmm. hmm. we'll come back to that, isn't it? Didn't they have a three-peat? Isn't, isn't them losing the World Series three times in a row? Isn't that, that is the reverse Showtime. I don't think the Showtime Lakers actually ever did win three in a row. Them and Boston kind of went back and forth. Well, but then what's the term I'm thinking of for the like the Lakers dynasty, like the really good run they had when Kobe was uh, doing his thing and not, and not making over-the-top content on ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> Detail. The, those, um, those were just like the Kobe Shaq Lakers. They didn't really have any other name hmm. all right that was 2000 2001 and 2002 yeah um i think i had one other thing before follow-up um 
Oh, yeah. And the only good thing about the power outage thing that I saw was that somebody said that if this happened in New York, people would be losing their minds and it would be breaking news for three days. The West Coast, there's all, I'm tired of West Coast, uh, anti-West Coast bias. I mean, you know, haters going to hate. Mm-hmm. California's great. If you want to hate on California. Wait, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Did you mean for that to rhyme? Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so in the zone. I just, you know, uh, not even thinking about it. That's pretty good. Oh, and then last bit. This actually, this could be a transition to follow up. Uh, Target, because they did all that rebranding we talked about last week. Uh, they've been spamming Twitter with a bunch of ads. Not spamming. They're paying for ads. But they're trying to make hashtag Let's Target a thing. I don't think it works. Hmm. I had all this new branding. I'm not. Yeah. can't get behind. Oh, well, this is actually time sensitive. So I, this show probably won't come out in time. Uh, but I will take a screenshot of it and put it in the notes. But you sent me a link uh, from friend of the show, Joanna Gaines, where they installed a tap at their new. Is it a coffee shop? Well, they're um, they're working on that coffee shop, which I think I, I sent that link to you a while ago. I don't know if that ever made it on air, but they're making a coffee shop just down the street from the silos in Waco. Well, yeah, but you, you sent me a, 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 a link to her story where she showed, I think, inside that Magnolia Press coffee shop as they're building it. They have tap for still and sparkling wine, and it was the most on-brand podcast crossover thing I've ever seen. Not wine, water. Wine. or Sorry, water. Am I... Yeah. Am I tired? I'm very tired <laughs> and, and partially sick. So um, if that's if that's not your wallpaper, your iPhone wallpaper by now, I'm going to be really disappointed. We're eventually going to get to it. But the biggest thing I'm pissed off about about the iPhone 11 Pro is because of the dumb notch and the screen size, I'm no longer able to screenshot um, stories of dogs on Instagram and use it as a wallpaper. Because you know how on the iPhone 10 and the notch screen sizes, like Instagram stories are like inlaid where they're kind of letterboxed. Right. Yeah, so I can't do that. Should we just get in, get right into that? Uh, wasn't there one thing before that? I got I got a, I got too many windows open. Where's the dock? Oh yeah, well you talk about your iPhone case, and then I'll get good and mad. Even though I've only had this phone for like eight hours. <laughs> All right, well, what's what's it? Oh, oh, Ronvu. Yeah, I'll, I'll be really quick. So I uh, ordered that Ronvu bumper case on the show last week, and then in classic Amazon fashion, it arrived two days later on Saturday and I've been using it ever since. And I, I think I like it. Um, Ringing endorsement. (laughs) Um, it, it still, it, it still feels like my phone is maybe a little bit exposed and that it's still a little slippery at times. It's definitely a lot better than if you just don't use any kind of case at all, but it's definitely not the same level of grippiness as you get from something like that totally clear case that I had had on it before. Of course. But the but the pro the the pros here or the the big the big plus is I don't know it, there's just something about having this type of case on it where you can still feel the back of the phone and overall like the aesthetics of the phone like if if you were just to glance at my phone from the corner of your eye you almost wouldn't even be be able to tell it had a case on it at all. Um, it just looks and feels a lot more premium and a lot more sort of like probably like how Apple intended it to feel and look. Mm-hmm. And cause I, I don't know, there's something to, you've got this big fancy phone and then you're putting this kind of cheapy sort of plastic on it, like with the totally case that just doesn't feel quite right. So I think overall, 
I like it, and I'm I'm probably going to stick with it for a little while longer. My only other little nag is, like, it fits the phone well, but, like, not perfectly. Like, the biggest thing is when you click the side button, like, kind of the whole side of the case moves a little bit. So I think you might have to wait for them to make, like, a second revision. Cause, because they make all of these cases, like, to get them to market so early when like they just have like stolen prototypes of phones like you know what i mean yeah so i assume once they actually have the phone in hand the design will get tweaked so you probably just have to buy it again maybe yeah but uh overall i think overall i think i like it yeah that's the thing with the bumpers like and yeah i had the same case for my iphone 8 a while ago and it and that's the thing where i mean if i claimed it was this way i lied but i don't think it's necessarily that much grippier it's mainly that if it falls it has adequate protection i'm not sure it's adding a ton of grip but I think it's mostly protection for a corner drop if compared to the naked phone. And it adds zero thickness. I think it does. Because if you're holding your phone on the sides, there's even though the case is actually pretty thin, it's still quite a bit more to grip than the phone itself. And the edges are a little bit less rounded than just, you know, the iPhone itself is. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with it for a little while, I think. Yeah. Oh, cool. In worst case, it was a $15 gamble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So a little bit delayed, but I got my iPhone 11 Pro. Um, so I have the one thing I have to say just before you really get going here. Mm-hmm. The thing that I totally forgot about, and I don't know, the the whole iPhone lineup and like which phone has which size screen is just like, I don't know, something that I, I just have a memory block against. Like I always forget that the... um. Uh, Pro has a smaller screen than the non-Pro, uh, but it, but even but I think even this Pro phone has a bigger screen than like your iPhone eight. Right? Yeah, we're we're gonna talk about that. So that's that's the part that I'm most interested in hearing your take on because you're very anti bigger screen iPhone. I am so prejudiced against big screen phones. I'm not a hateful person. I hate big screen phones. So <laughs> I, I've only had it for a few, for half a day. So I'm not going to complain that much. And I'm not going to go into some like uh, some big rant about it, but I, it's too big. I cannot fathom how anybody could possibly use a pro max. It's great. Insane. I, I, it's still a bit of a struggle to reach the top corners of it. Um, also you like just doing one handed typing. Like I, I just don't walk around doing two, two thumbs like a Blackberry. Um, it's difficult to reach the left side of the keyboard, even though I just have like, I, I ended up getting the, um, Meyer lemon apple leather case, which I assume will look clean for all of eight minutes. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to see if it starts discoloring badly, I'm going to return it, but I really like the color. So even if it gets, um, darker and like skin oils make it look not like new but if it wears evenly i i'm i'm down for that but i'm i'm very skeptical of this but yeah the man it's it's too big um and that's the part that annoys me where if you're somebody who wants a small ish phone or what i I generally call a medium-sized phone when i'm describing it to people um it sucks that the iphone 11 like the 10r is just too damn big for most people i think um and then the pro max is just is just insane but the 11 it's it's still a little bit too big uh that's where aren't the rumors that the 2020 phone's gonna have like a five and a half inch model there have been rumors um about that and i guess quick clarification since again i just cannot memorize these iphone screen sizes for the life of me 
How much bigger is this screen compared to your iPhone 8? Well, so it depends. So to, to, to for quick reference, uh, so the screen sizes of the iPhone Pro 11 Pro. Do, do you do you do you think you're going to describe it as iPhone Pro or 11 Pro? Are you going to use Apple's branding? I, I guess I've been saying. Like, do you say 11 Pro Max or do you say Pro Max? If you're ever, I'm not sure how often you're talking talking phone shop, but. <laughs> I, I actually just think I've been saying I have the bigger iPhone 11 Pro. But you're you're putting the 11 in there. That's interesting. Okay. I think I think I have been. Yeah. <laughs> kind of subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So the screen size is 11 Pro is 5.8 inches with a um sort of edge to edge display. Uh, the iPhone 11, which is the same size as the 10R, is a 6.1 diagonal screen, and the Pro Max is a six and a half inch screen. Um, the 8 and the 7 and the 6S, all those were a 4.7-inch display. But again, it was um, it had a forehead and chin, so that's tough to compare. But it's definitely like half an inch wider. Wait, 4.7? Is that right? Mm-hmm. So this, this when screen, have I ever been wrong gone, on the show? You, <laughs> the, your screen size you've gone up to is over an inch bigger? But again, forehead and chin. It's, it's measured diagonally. Y- right. I guess I thought I I thought the iPhone five I thought starting there that was four inches. Man, I was for some reason I was thinking that was five inches or something. Huh? Nope. Yeah. So the size I'm not loving it, but I'll get used to it. Face ID, um, not as bad as I had feared, but still not great. Um, I think my positive impression of it is because I sat out like the reason why I maybe thought it was so bad was because I sat out the iPhone 10s generation, which again, the sensor didn't really get better, but apparently iOS 12 did get better at making it faster, or maybe it was the a 12 or whatever, but there, there have definitely been improvements in unlocking speed. Uh, but again, I've been, um, I was about to say I've been upright most of the day, but I haven't tried using it like uh, while like laying down or like like when I wake up in the morning, which is one of the biggest frustrating parts. And I know I shouldn't be touching my phone while I'm in bed because maybe that's why I can't sleep or wake up properly. But that's another show. Um, but yeah, it's not bad. Uh, I've and and you were right when you said that it's gotten better. Where um, like it will not try, like it won't exhaust all of your attempts like this automatically. Where, like, if it doesn't catch your face, eventually it'll stop trying before it forces you to enter your passcode. So you were right that that is better. Um, but the one part I really don't like about Touch ID, or sorry, about Face ID, is that, um, like, at work I have a wireless charging stand, but it's one that is a not like a pad. It's like a, a stand where it's at, like, a 45-degree angle, mm-hmm. where if I'm looking at it, it unlocks which 75% of the time is good. But a lot of times, like if I'm getting up from my desk and I'm just checking the time, which I will kind of um, instinctively do a lot by just tapping the screen. And that's another side tangent real quick. I was so mad that they artificially held back the, you could tap the screen to turn it on thing from the iPhone eight, even though they totally didn't need to do that. But now that that is a thing on this phone, I I, I love that feature. Um, not that it's like an Apple, Apple exclusive thing, but that's the annoying part where it will, um, I find that Face ID lacks an inten- uh, an intentionality to the unlock, where it will frequently unlock when I don't actually would have preferred it not to unlock. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I don't really have that experience. And I have a similar setup um, at my desk at work, where I've got one of those wireless charging stands, but just like you described, it's not something where the phone lays flat, it, it lays sort of upright. 
And I guess I never really tap the screen unless I'm intending to do something with the phone. Because if I want to see what time it is, I look at my Apple Watch. Yeah. And it's, you know, fancy, always on display. Remind me in a couple minutes to to ruin the always on display illusion. I'll tell you a situation that will make you hate your watch. So please dongle that or stick a fork in that. I'm I'm already not a super big fan of the always on display, but yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's kind of annoying. Cause just because like yeah, it, it unlocks a lot of times when you wouldn't want to, or sometimes like I'll open one password and I'm like I'm super excited that it it unlocks so quickly. Um. And sometimes it's seamless and it it seems faster because like there's less friction because i'm not having to move my thumb to the to the touch id sensor but a lot of times i'm like man i I really kind of wish i would have been able to give permission for this to unlock rather than it just doing it i don't know maybe that's just because i'm a paranoid person but i don't don't know (laughs) i guess i'm I'm not paranoid but i don't know i just kind of there's a lot of times where i just that's the the best part of touch id is that one if you want to unlock your phone there are many situations where you can unlock it more quickly and in advance uh, where it's not possible to do so with Face ID. And again, you are, by pressing the sensor, are kind of guaranteeing that that is what you wanted to do, where Face ID is not that way. Well, you know, you mentioned the 2020 iPhone a moment ago. Yeah. There's been some rumors about Touch ID making a return in that phone or maybe even like the 2021 phone as an underscreen fingerprint sensor. And I think what would be obviously the the ultimate solution here is sort of allowing the user to choose whether you want the option of having both always on and basically you'll just unlock your phone which with you know whatever's quickest or you have the option of disabling um, one of them. So if you're someone like yourself who even a year from now still really doesn't like Face ID, you could basically just turn that off and use the new Touch ID. That would be really cool if they end up going that route. Yeah, the part I'm annoyed about about that is that just like Samsung's implementation and I and a friend of the show, my uh, not Mike Isaac, the other Mike, uh, Mike Hurley. He's been all in on the Galaxy Fold, and and, and I and I too kind of like that Samsung will just try wacky stuff. Um, their implementation of uh, under the screen, um, I think it's like a sonic uh, fingerprint sensor under the screen. It's not that good. Actually, I would say it's probably pretty bad. But on Samsung's mid-range phone, the S10e, um, they have it as a little like the power button on this right side of the phone actually doubles as a fingerprint sensor. And I know Apple would never do that, but that is the best solution. I don't know why. The people who want to use Face ID can, but really all you're doing is making a slightly more powerful um, like sleep-wake button. But I assume that with Apple's you know rumored underscreen Touch ID technology, this will be another classic example of where Apple did not invent the technology, although when they're showing it to you, they'll act as if they did. But what's really <laughs> happening is... Typing. Exactly. But what's really happening is they've sort of just sat on the sidelines until the technology's gotten better. And they've let the Samsungs of the world kind of beta test these um, um, sensors for them. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I know nothing about the technology, but it feels just like a technology that's never going to be that good. I mean, for, for, what it's, for what it's worth, I mean, if three years ago you told me I was going to be 
unlocking my iPhone with my face and it would do so in like half a second most of the time. I mean, I would have, you know, laughed you off the show. So, you know, technology progresses. Or regresses in the in the, <laughs> um, <laughs> in the usability of face ID. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, and the, and the phone I got, sorry, I, I buried the lead. Uh, iPhone Pro, the smaller one, uh, 256 gigs in white and silver. Uh, I was on the fence about midnight green versus white. I'm fairly happy with my choice. Um, and yeah, a uh, leather yellow case. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, yeah, hey, it just unlocked with a microphone in my face. That's cool. I don't know, man. Um, I, you know, I was not a fan of face ID when it first launched with the iPhone 10 continue to not be a fan for quite a while still probably prefer touch id in this in the grand scheme of things and that's why i'm i'm really excited about a solution where the phone just has both and you could just use them interchangeably i think that that sounds great but overall i've grown to be fine with face id i think it's i think it's fine i think it's it, it's probably like the state of face ID now, I would say is, I don't know, it's it's 80% of what touch ID was at its peak. Mm, that's generous. But uh, but I, I I think you're right where it's, it's not as bad as it used to be. Um, and it's one of those things they've been slowly iterating on so that it stinks less. Uh, a couple other stray observations. Super bummed. Or like I, I, I'm very disappointed that um, what's called 3D touch is gone. Yeah, me too. Like, I really, because I've been doing a lot of, like, app management today, and the whole, like, you just literally hold down on an icon for, like, what feels like four or five seconds to get them to wiggle, that's not great. Um, and well, also, then, But then not only that, but then you have to press, you know, the rearrange app button. So it's actually a long press and then a second press as opposed to just one quick deep press. Yeah, no, it's, it's do bad. you have your phone in front of you? I do. You can just hold down and just keep holding, and you don't have to tap rearrange apps. Really? Let me mm-hmm. let me try this. Oops, no. Face ID probably didn't work. Uh, no, it it did. Jeez, yeah, you have to hold it down for about mm-hmm. fifteen seconds before it does that. But <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, so the lack of three D touch is a huge bummer. Because also, um, in my because uh, we don't use Slack for most things at work, we use a, a god awful Cisco WebEx product. Um, I can no longer uh stealthily read channel messages without showing because this particular product has a little thing where it shows if you've read the message you can't you can't turn that off no Mm. very annoying uh so i can no longer peek into channels and not have that a little red status indicator change so that's a enormous regression for me you can you can no longer peek and pop I can no, or I can no longer slide into those without being without <laughs> being known, because it's weird. Because maybe they'll update it. Because you can still do like a weird version of peek and pop in like messages and stuff, but slowly but surely, um, ever since the 10R came out, app developers have been kind of uh, taking away or just not bothering with implementing. Because um, I think that is literally the official name that they had for it called peek and pop. Uh, but yeah, Cisco WebEx Teams. Just the worst name in the world and also the worst product in the world um does not allow me to do that anymore which is a huge huge bummer um 
Yeah. And the only other thing about that, like I'm, I'm going to, it's going to take like two weeks for me to relearn to not try to press the home button that doesn't exist there. But I really, I forgot how much I missed because I had the iPhone 10 for like two weeks, how much I like that you can um, just do like a left to right swipe to quickly go between your most recent application. Love it. Yeah, that's good. Um, Yeah, that's mostly it. And then just a quick complaint about iCloud is just like it restored almost everything um but it didn't restore my call history which is fine but it's just a, like of all the stuff that it kept it's just so weird that that's not there i never use my call history but literally a week after or maybe no i know it was literally the next day after i had set up my new iphone i needed to go back and look up a phone number from the weekend before mm-hmm. and i i went to my call history and saw that it only went to the previous day, and I obviously <laughs> instantly knew what that meant. And I, I had the same reaction. I was just like, "Really? Like, because yeah, everything else is there?" Yeah, you're tra- transferring over gigabytes and gigabytes of photos and you know, my hundreds of apps, but you you can't can't get my call history. I finished the restore. Sporty's face is looking right up there at me, but but no call history. Yeah, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Um. But then with that said, the only other thing is so like like a, like a good uh, troubleshooter. Like I, ma- I made for sure before um, I restored this, I unpaired my watch from the my iPhone 8 so that it was ready to go. And then it had like a recent backup on it. So then once everything starts restoring and I see that all the apps are installed, I'm like, okay, great. So now it's probably safe to pair my watch. And then I do that. And then it's asking me like, hey, do you want to set up your activity stuff? And it's asking for my birthday and my weight and stuff. I'm like, what in the way? Isn't that stuff supposed to be saved? But then it looks like um, your activity and your health data doesn't reload automatically until like you open the apps. So, so that was weird. I had exactly that same experience. Um, and as someone who currently has a, a long activity streak going. I yeah, was, I was like, I, what? I was highly concerned when it asked for, yeah, like my weight and height and stuff. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I opened the activity app right after that and it was like, oh, hey, we're starting to download, you know, all your stuff. But the thing is like, it looks like it would not have downloaded it unless I opened those apps. Yeah, I guess so. Like, cause there was that little bar at the bottom saying restoring activity data from iCloud, but like it, it really looked like it wasn't even trying until I actually told it to. My guess is that it probably actually works a lot like how photos download. Oh, it would have been like an overnight thing when it's plugged in or something. When it's, when it's plugged in and the screen is off and it's connected to Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then lastly with that, um, yeah, uh, that's mostly, and just, and just the general concern or complaint about iCloud where just depending on however apps are made, like I, I don't have that many apps. I mean, I, I have a, a, a probably a medium number of apps, um, and 80% of them are, are signed out and I get why the important ones like Dropbox are, um, like log and stuff like that. Cause that's uh, OAuth and session based. But just like random stuff was like, like I'm logging back into OpenTable and, and, and the weird thing, Resi remembers my login state, but OpenTable and that, that a point a score one for Resi. I'm, I'm now cool with their sassy text messages because it, it remembers that I was logged in. That was the comment that I had made like between Starbucks and Pete's where, you know. Oh yeah. I'm logged. I'm logged out of Starbucks. Yeah. Even though I, you know, strongly prefer uh, Pete's coffee. I will be the first to admit that Starbucks mobile app is way better than Pizza's. Pizza's is actually a lot better now, but it the Starbucks app is still it's very nice. 
But yeah, Pete's kept me logged in and Starbucks did not. Phil's didn't keep me logged in either. I don't know. It's just it's just so weird which one to do. And I don't know. So so I maybe this is totally wrong, but you know, like when you look in the details of your iCloud backup, you can actually look at every single app that's being that has data being backed up to your iCloud backup. And I think that requires the app to have some kind of cloud kit support. And so my guess is that apps that basically because when you, you know, when you restore from an iCloud backup, like your apps don't directly transfer over. Instead, they just re-download from the app store. <sighs> and so my my guess is that for apps that don't have any sort of cloud kit support, you're basically just like re-downloading the app and starting from scratch. Whereas apps that do have cloud kit support, the app's being downloaded. And then when you open the app, you're data from your iCloud backup is also then being restored within that app. And maybe that includes your login credentials too. I, I'm not really sure. I think you're half right because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of apps on my phone. Like, like there's an old game that I play called desert golf, which is just like this super, super low tech eight bit game that just, it's just, it's just miniature golf that never ends in a desert. It's great. Um, and it has no online component. It's the most basic app in the world. And luckily, it remembers that I am on a whole 1,850 and I haven't lost my progress. But that one doesn't use CloudKit or anything like that. It's just a local data store. So well, I, but if you're, well, I, well if, if you're bored one day, what I would do maybe is go into your iCloud backup and see if that's one of the apps that's listed. Because it might be. Um, it is not. Do you just mean like where you go to iCloud and then below iCloud Drive, you just have like all these random apps? Right. No. And you have the option of unselecting them if you don't want data from them backed up to iCloud. Yeah. Yeah. So that I'm not sure. But also you brought up a real other really good point, which is I forgot is that if a, if an app developer unpublishes an app from the store, you can't re-download it. So there were five apps that are no longer in the store that I can't re-download, which sucks. Um, and if it, if I had done an iTunes backup, that wouldn't be the case, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah, so that's a bummer. And the, the annoying thing, or not annoying, I actually think it's better, like it's smart or it's, it's a good decision that they still show you that it's like where it was and that it's there and it just shows like the little cloud with um, a downward pointing arrow thing. But if you tap it again, it just says this is no longer available in the United States App Store. And uh, do you want to keep the icon or delete it? But you can't re-download the app, which kind of stinks. Huh, I guess I I didn't know that. I thought when apps got taken down, if you had previously purchased or downloaded them, that you still had access. No, like there was this app called Detour that just gave like kind of cool, like narrated um, uh, like tours of American cities. And it was purchased by Bose like two years ago. It was pulled from the app store, but I still had a bunch of tours I wanted to uh, walk around and do, and now that's gone. Well, they they needed content for all their AR glasses. That's literally why they bought it. I know, I know you're thinking you're making a joke, but that really? is why they bought it. It's so annoying. Yeah, no, I think oh. on the website, like Detour bought them to amp up their uh, augmented reality content library. <laughs> so so fucking mad because <laughs> it was a cool idea, basically. Like, well, because here's so it was a cool concept, and their whole thing was like we're gonna chart, well, like we'll sell it, like for ten bucks, and they'll be just like, hey. Here, you can go take like an hour and a half walk down the Embarcadero and we'll tell you like what all the buildings are and what, what are some cool things to see. I'm like, that's neat. And then Bose bought them and then they're like, okay, well, we're going to keep the app alive for six months and we're going to let everybody have access to all of them for free. And I'm like, great. And I downloaded a whole bunch of them 
and they're still on my iPhone 8. So if I really wanted to do them, I just have to make sure I don't um, erase my iPhone 8. And but now I can't play them, and that's that's a bummer. It was a cool business idea, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's it, man. Um, I haven't really played around with the camera much. Um, so we'll see if I just throw my A7R4 in the garbage because night shot's so damn good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll sign it. The Ouija board says no. Um, uh, let me let me know if you do, and I'll I'll come dig it out of the garbage. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing, a previous chef special recommendation, step two, uh, for two factor authentication, uh, going to triple down on that. It is so great. It's so fast. And unlike Authy, which again, I'm just like, I don't, it feels like abandonware at this point. Um, I don't know, like step two is so good and it is encrypted and restores as part of your iCloud backup. So just the very moment when you want it to be there and ready for you. You're not doing any like rigmarole to try to get your two-factor codes when you're actually like in a time crunch and need to log back into all your shit. Like it's it's just there and perfect. So triple tripling down on that. I I've been on the fence with Authy for quite a while, but when you brought it up recently, it's like ever since then. It's like every time I open Authy, I I extra notice how much I dislike it. Well, and because here's the thing, like I'm now up to, cause I've been doing kind of like a bit of a security checkup ever since I did that step two thing. I'm like, Oh, maybe what, what accounts am I not using two factor for that? Maybe I've added it ever since I signed up and I'm up to like 30 accounts in like that have two factor authentication and step two is just so damn fast. And the thing with Authy is like, like maybe like 10 companies have like icons for it. And like none of the rest of them just have like these weird arbitrarily or just like randomly selected like key icons and it's just so hard to find what you want yes i'm i'm yeah i'm retracting my author recommendation from like four years ago and just i'm all in on step two yeah there there are certain apps and services too that actually have some type of agreement with authy where authy is like the one two-factor app that works so. Yeah, because they got bought by Twilio, and they have this, and those actually have six, di- uh, sorry, eight digit codes instead of six digit ones. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but most of those I found that like um, Coinbase, which I don't use Bitcoin, but I don't know why I have an account there. Uh, that does allow you to use either the Twilio one or the Twilio Authy hybrid thing, um, or uh, just a standard the Google Authenticator um, open protocol thingy. Right. All right, that's it. This phone's fine. It's too big, uh, but I mostly like it. And even though I've been on my phone all day trying to reconfigure stuff and I've been lo- bouncing back and forth and logging into accounts, battery life seems amazing. I know it's a thing. It's it's like ten hours of of um, anecdotal data, but battery life seems great. All right, well, uh, let's have you talk for a bit. Uh, I hear from uh, people who listened to the last uh, last week's episode. You went to the parking lot, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I did go to the parking lot. Yes. uh the the lady friend and i were running some errands on saturday and being the very understanding wife that she is when i asked if we could stop at that parking lot she had mentioned on the way home so that i could uh try out this smart summon thing Mm -hmm. she she reluctantly said yes did she she stay in the car (laughs) no 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 she 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 got out of the car and stood behind me (laughs) Um, and I think she actually took a video too, uh, which I, which I meant to send to you, but I haven't yet. Uh, there's, there's not much to see. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was a very, very generic parking lot, you know, no medians, no like planters in the middle, just like literally just an 
a blank canvas and an open open parking lot and there was not a single other car in the parking lot that was kind of one of my prerequisites to drive this thing for the first time uh, we got out of the you know parked the car got out of the car walked yeah i don't know 75 feet or whatever away from the car um and then you know started the process it's you just literally open the tesla app you go to summon and you just say hey come to me and you just you hold down the button and the way it, the way it works is it's basically like on and off so if you're holding down the button it will continue doing its thing and then the second you take your finger off the button the car immediately stops so it it got off to a, actually a, a relatively impressive start where wait okay go ahead well no did it go did it end did it end badly because i think like this is a case where i feels like this is a situation where it it can't fail because like there's nothing it could do bad because there's no there's no objects i'll, I'll get to the kind of disconcerting part okay. about it or the, right. the part that it that really made me lose even the tiny little bit of confidence that had built up uh up to this point okay so it it um backed out of the space very nicely it actually like turned its turn signal on to indicate which direction it was going to turn mm-hmm which is like not something that any normal human being does, but <laughs> uh, but actually seemed fairly clever. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's nice. And so then once the car was backed out of its parking spot, literally all I had to do was just drive a direct straight line towards me. Like there was no <laughs> turning involved, nothing. It was just literally a straight shot with no obstacles in the way. Uh-oh. And it it did... But it did so in like the most erratic way possible. Like you mean like varying speed or turns? Both. Like the 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 wheels were just like constantly turning. Like it was just constantly <laughs> making these little tiny corrections. Like it was almost like um I don't know, it would almost be like if someone took like their young child into like in their car, like in a parking lot, and they kind of allow them to like sit on their lap and like kind, you know, kind of like almost sort of pretend that they're steering, basically. Like it, it was kind of like that, where it just all I had to do was just drive in this straight line, and it was basically just kind of like kept making these corrections, like these small corrections left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just it just did not did not instill a lot of confidence. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to talk for a minute, but I, I will give you a chance to open the YouTube link. I don't know why, but I feel like your car probably drove like this dog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but again, this is also a great video because the dog literally is driving that kid around. So please put that in the show notes. I also, uh, like, the, I, I also, I also like the stickers that that little kid put on his car. <laughs> it's in sick, the sick ride, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know, man. Like I. It's it's weird because we already kind of talked about the fact like there's going to be there has to be a whole bunch of regulation that follows the ability to just ship an update that allows you to move a four thousand pound thing around uh, by an app. But it's just, it, yeah, it is weird that like because autopilot for as much crap as we give it seems not that erratic on like at freeway speeds. Is it only like maybe is is auto is is the self-driving stuff in the Tesla that bad where if it's not following another vehicle that's driven by a human, it just doesn't know what to do? Because like that's the thing where at, at 65 miles an hour, 
the I've seen people like I've been in cars where somebody's using autopilot and it follows really smoothly, but that's mostly because the vast majority of what it's doing is just tracking another car. So that's a, that's a really good good and interesting way to look at this because to me that's actually the best part of autopilot and I think what separates autopilot from most other driver assistance packages out there is whenever you read reviews about cars that have basically the same thing as autopilot which really is just a rebranded combination of adaptive speed control and lane centering mm-hmm the thing that you'll read about with basically every other lane centering technology out there is that the car kind of like ping pongs between the lane lines. And yeah, it technically keeps you in your lane, but it's it's not like a super pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. The Tesla Autopilot is is the exact opposite. Even if there's no car in front of you, it does a really, really good job of keeping you in your lane, even with you know, curves in the freeway and and all of that. And then even also now with the um, lane changing as well, it it does all of that really, really well, you know, with or without traffic around you, Um, which does kind of make this whole smart summon thing even more confusing because it sort of flawlessly can do these maneuvers at 65, 70 miles an hour on the freeway, even with a bunch of other cars around you. But then in this empty parking lot, it's, it's kind of just a mess. So, um, I don't know. I, the, the lady friend and I both walked away with the same conclusion, which is you would be absolutely crazy to use this in any kind of situation where there were other cars or people around mm-hmm. like that. That would just be insane. Yep. Well, apparently, uh, somebody has it on good, good authority that 500,000, uh, uh, summonings have happened so it's cool uh make tesla great again so let's go back so this this is uh last i think the last bit of follow-up uh, from a couple of weeks ago i forget what we were talking about but you somehow the topic came up of whether or not um we had our network attached storage devices backing up properly i forget i forget what, what the context was but you uh, vaguely shamed me into uh fixing that so once the uh, calendar struck, I don't think calendar strike things, but if once the calendar flipped over uh, to October 1st, uh, I, I'm deciding to cash in on one of the um, overage waiver months with Comcast, and I reconfigured the Backblaze B2 um, backup of uh, the critical data on my Synology, and uh, I am currently at 2,100 gigabytes uh used thus far and it is the evening of the ninth so i'm glad i'm glad my modem has not has not um caught on fire yet can you just go as much over the cap as you want to yes i think i mean i've yeah (laughs) i hope so We'll, we'll check in again in three weeks yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, and maybe, like, maybe once I cut the cord when TiVo gets shitty, which I, and I, I'm sorry to put work on you, but if you can go find that tweet that I put in podcasts ideas earlier, but Dave Zatz, who has always been one of the best um, TiVo like insiders or bloggers for a while, he got the update to the new um, pre-roll ad thing, and he, um, he's not mad about the ads, but he's mad about how bad it is, um, how crappy the ads are and the fact that it keeps keeps making his tivo uh box reboot so it's gonna be great but yeah so once um that rolls out 
and I probably cut the cord. Um, I'm probably just going to say screw it and then just um, pay the $50 a month for the truly unlimited data. Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm not sure I want to deal with um, having to call in every month because I don't think you can change your plan that way online if you have like promotional packages on your thing. So I don't think I can just opt in and out of unlimited data without having to do like a one hour phone call with Comcast every month. Isn't your internet service, if you have it unbundled from TV and you add this $50 extra unlimited data surcharge, isn't your internet going to be crazy expensive each month? I think I priced it out and it's going to end up being like 120 And right now my bill is $135. Um, but then, but that's without unlimited data. So that's, so comparatively, that's not really fair. Um, and also the, these A7R4 files are 60 megs a piece. It's very upsetting <laughs> or it's, <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, thank you for shaming me into this. Um, cause it's, it's not hard to set up like the, the Synology, the cloud sync utility is actually very, very good. It's great. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, I just got lazy about it. Um, and it turns out I wasn't actually saving any money by not doing it because I forgot to delete the buckets of data from the last time I stopped having it update. So I was still paying $22 a month for like three terabytes of stuff <laughs> to be backed up. It was just out of date. So that's, um, wasn't great. So thank you. Yeah. The, 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 the black, geez, back blaze B2, it's a mouthful, um, is it's not meant to be super like user friendly. It's 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 like oh, an no, it's, it's, it's a developer tool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the cloud sync stuff makes it so that even kind of dummies like me can can get it up and running pretty fast. And I mean, I think I made this comment when we were talking about it before. I literally set that up, you know, like the day after I bought that Synology from you, which was what, three years ago or something. And I've never once you know, done anything to it. Like I periodically log on to Backblaze just to, you know, make sure that things are actually, you know, backing up as they say they are, mm-hmm. um, which they always, you know, they always are. And I've never had to to mess with that setup at all. It's been, been rock solid. Yeah. It's like that rotisserie uh, chicken thing from the nineties. You just said, it you got it. <laughs> yeah, you remember that information, right? Yeah. Just say you do. Um, <laughs> So yeah. So, um, so wait. So so I guess so to to reiterate, you prior to me shaming you into doing this, you had, did not have your critical data backed up remotely anywhere. Correct. That's that's bad, man. And I feel like I should do the thing. Do you, have you heard the thing that Casey does, where he will where do he, like an actual hard drive and just give it to somebody? So I was gonna say that you know I I think that's a that's a solution that's going to obviously require more work, and I as a result, probably makes it more likely that you're going to forget to back up your data, um, especially, you know, keeping that backup up to date. But doing something like that is is way better than just not doing anything at all. Like you you have to have data backed up remotely. Like if you don't have it, if you don't have your data in a second location, you basically don't have any backups. Uh, yeah, much like a Republican senator, I'm very big into preaching what people should do and not actually doing it myself. So... Mm. Um, yeah, I should probably start doing that because like, right. I do have an OmniFocus, uh, reminder, uh, every quarter to do like a hard, like, like, a, just like a, a carbon copy of, um, critical data to, um, like just a three and a half inch hard drive that I put in a toaster. Um, and then for my Mac and my iMac, I have two Samsung USB-C, um, 500 gig SSDs. So it all gets backed up and it's put in a safe place, but of course that's still in where I live. So that's not an offsite backup. But the thing is, like, my Macs get backed up in a different way. 
for me, it's just all the stuff that I keep in like, uh, not cold storage, but just like not super fast accessible storage, like not local storage. That's the stuff that was not getting backed up. So thank you for the, for the shame. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to help. All right. And probably show title. All right. Um, and then lastly, I don't know why we have this in here. Um, something, something fire. Uh, oh, I think it's mostly just cause of USB-C. So Amazon released a new fire tablet. Um, and it charges over USB-C and it's 150 bucks. Um, maybe that means that USB-C might be coming to the Kindles. I'm not sure Amazon cares enough. Um, yeah, that's mostly it. I still don't understand why Amazon makes Kindles because like, sure, like you made the point that it's a cheaper alternative to the iPad, but the margins can't be good and you can access like prime video and Amazon prime on other devices. I'm just not, I'm not really sure or what the what the upside is yeah, i think amazon does it for brand recognition for data for giving people yet another place to access prime video and just you know amazon proper but aren't they bad like so like in terms of like brand recognition aren't they just like very mediocre to maybe not good tablets i think i i, I mean for in full transparency i've not really spent any meaningful time with these but um, like my sister had one at one point a handful of years ago and she, she really liked it. And I think they usually review pretty well. You sure you're not thinking of Chromebooks? No, not thinking of a Chromebook. I think a Chromebook is what she has now, but. Cause like Chromebooks are good, objectively good. As long as you don't ever need a native local app. Right. Yeah. No, there's, hmm. um, no, she had a, she had a fire or something. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, there's like there's like 26 different versions of them now. So it's like the Echo. There's like there's 13 Echoes now, <laughs> right? Yeah, except the one I like. Fucking Amazon. All right, all right. Uh, let's move <laughs> new new business in our end. Um, yeah, okay, actually, let's let's do some. We really need to find a name that's not basically saying we stole up upstream. Let's talk about the media industry downstream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if, if if friend of the show Jason Snell had power, he'd be very legit. As we'd be getting sued right now. <laughs> um. Yeah. So what's uh what what are our um what's this week's media news? So I, there there's one that's sort of I don't know if there's really a ton to talk about here. It's just the, kind the, of the petty BS one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was um, a feel good story of the week. Which is Disney banning all Netflix ads um how will people find out about it now oh that, that was yeah i think that was what i quipped in the, in the thing which is oh now you know disney customers are never going to find out what netflix is <sighs> just seems kind of uh just seems kind of silly and also like i just didn't think it, disney had a bad relationship with netflix like I, I know they're doing their own thing and they're now direct competitors but for a very long time there was a ton of disney content on netflix like i don't know it's not like Netflix is a new thing. I, 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 I don't see what this possibly does other than make Disney look bad and maybe invite regulatory. Not that we're in a very anti-business regular regulatory environment until my girl, uh, my, uh, my candidate Elizabeth Warren shows up, but no. Yeah. And then much like Spotify has kind of a bundle where you can get Hulu. Um, uh, there was a story in the Financial Times where it uh, some insiders that were pulled from mu- the music industry are worried that Apple may, in fact, try to um, lump together Apple Music and Apple TV Plus. Um, 
and you would wonder why why do the music labels care well the biggest draw of um apple music is is what's basically a commoditized license towards all the music in existence so if they now have to um be part of a bundle with um just a bunch of over-the-top video service like they they might not want that type of relationship and that also flies in the face of everybody who was like oh maybe apple thinks all their subscriptions can stand on their own this again i'm not sure how well sourced it is kind of suggests the opposite i would i would think the other thing too is that the music labels are sort of worried about the sort of perceived value of their service and i mean the value of music has already sort of fallen so much to the point where now it's it's in these you know 10 to 15 dollar a month kind of streaming services and if you then further bundle them into these other packages like i just don't know if the labels really want music to be viewed as this thing that's sort of like thrown in to this other thing yeah i mean kind of i i would think that most consumers would would honestly think that well music is a thing i want and this other thing just comes on top of it it's just like when somebody buys prime like they're buying it for the shipping they don't really care that um you get like old episodes of psych and like usa dramas on on your apple tv or something so maybe yeah but but it is interesting and it just kind of disrupt the narrative that people were saying that um oh apple thinks everything could stand on its own and right now i think only apple arcade can probably do that did you ever sign up for that i haven't yet no i um thought about doing it right when ios 13 came out but then i wanted to wait until it was available on the ipad and apple tv and then by the time uh, ipad os and the um, tv os update came out a week later i had kind of forgotten about apple arcade mm-hmm. so yeah uh, to kind of transition out of this topic, um, let me see if I can find the link. Um, where is it? How do you spell quo? Well, anyway, I it's can't find the link. K U O, right? Oh, I thought it was. I thought we thought there was a Q. There we go. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, so to transition out of this, uh, it sounds like uh, maybe no fall event. Uh, friend of the show, Ming Chi Quo. You know, everybody's a friend of the show. Uh, has a new uh, research report saying that the second gen iPhone SE and new iPad Pros are likely not due out until early 2020. Um, and then the other part that I think most people are acting is like the most interesting thing, and I'm not super excited about is the um, they have some type of augmented reality headset coming out, so that might be um, uh, sooner for release than most people thought. But yeah, um, I think everybody kind of thought it was a shoe in that there'd be new iPads this year. And it's, I mean, well, Quo's a good source. Yeah, that those rumors always seemed off to me just because it would be very inconsistent with Apple's iPad update schedule from the last few years. Hasn't it always been like a March thing? Well, it's, it's always just been kind of like an 18 to 24 month thing. It's never been an every 12 month thing. And it, it's only been a year since we got the most recent revision um to the ipad pro and it was a big one and especially with these big revisions we just don't usually see another big change for at least a year and a half well and and they just released a new low-end ipad yeah like a month ago yeah yeah i think i think both with the laptop and with the ipads there may have been some wish casting involved at some point kind of over the summer when that stuff heated up yeah 
Um, and then actually I'll use this as an excuse to, to, to ruin the Apple watch real quick. So have you been out with your series five Apple watch in very, very bright direct sunlight? Uh, sure. Yeah. Maybe I have a, a defective one, but the next time you're out in like bright sun, look at the screen when it's in the one Hertz mode or like whatever, like the always on mode, you can literally see the screen refreshing. Like with this, like, uh, like, um, like rolling refresh bar. It's really distracting. And you can only, you can see, you can only see it in like super direct sunlight, but it's, it's uh, like, I either, I have a defective one or like, that's a really weird, like defect or compromise they had to make. I have not noticed that. I, I feel like I've been out in the sun with my watch quite a bit, but maybe have just never happened to really stare at the screen in its, um, in air quotes, always on state. Yeah. I took a, I took a video of it. I'll, I'll send it to you later, but like, it's, it's just, it's really, it's really weird. Um, that it's just so obvious. Did you, I mean, did you poke around the internet at all to see if other people had experienced it? I don't know how to describe it. Like, just like I'm having difficulties describing what it looks like. I don't know what you put into Google to make Google tell me the thing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, otherwise, um, yeah, I've got a spooky Apple watch right now. So that's, that's good. I got my, I, I, where I'm using the spicy orange band and I've come to like color matching the, um, the screen. So right now for Halloween, it's, I got spicy orange and I've got orange for the, um, old, I think it's called modular, the old first gen Apple watch face. It's pretty good. I think spicy orange was made for you. That's like the mm-hmm. perfect, perfect descriptor for you. Yeah, I'm really into these yellows recently too, but that's more of a spring color, so I might have to table that. And uh, I forget what, what's your what's your uh, like everyday band. I actually in the in within since you've kind of gotten me onto these knockoff third party bands <laughs> on Amazon, um, mm-hmm. and I and I, yeah, I bought a handful of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been kind of wearing a different band every day. Like Dude, I actually you. Most days I actually end up wearing three Apple watch bands because in what? the morning, in the morning I'll wear my Nike one and that's what I'll go for a run with. And then during the day I will either wear one of my two, um, like steel link bracelet bands or, um, a leather band that I have or the Milanese loop knockoff band that i have then that all just kind of <laughs> depends on like what else i'm wearing that day and then in the evening i'll throw on the um forest green sport band that came with my new apple watch mm-hmm. interesting yeah le- leather leather bands are tough just because um you have to be careful washing your hands because like the leather just doesn't dry quickly i see the the one that i have i that's never that's never been an issue so but you you get it wet and it's not a problem Hmm. Yeah, send me a link if you ever have it. Um, yeah, I, I, I will. I think it was a, a wire cutter pick or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, usually if I'm wearing like a um, like a short sleeve shirt, that leather band I think works pretty well. And then if I'm wearing a longer sleeve, and actually the Milanese loop too with a short sleeve shirt I think works nicely. So kind of like they skew maybe a little more um, casual. Um, but then. Um, with the um, link bracelet bands, I'll wear those if I'm wearing like a nicer long sleeve shirt. Got it. 
with your with a pocket square sticking out of the watch. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I don't think we have time to talk about it, but if you put in the show notes, there was a Wall Street Journal article that was actually fairly interesting about something we've talked about um, continuously or continuously on the show. And we're not going to talk about this either. But um, in light of the uh, NBA China controversy this week, I thought this was actually a, a very interesting article where um, it's, it's talking about how Tim Cook is kind of trying and mostly succeeding at playing both sides of um the trump presidency where apparently he's even calling him on thanksgiving to wish him a happy thanksgiving uh and there's a very good quote in the article where uh donald trump is talking about himself saying uh tim cook doesn't get consultants to talk to me tim cook calls donald trump himself which talking in the third person absolutely fantastic uh (laughs) but not really but yeah i I just thought it was very interesting because it's something that i've always been and we talked about it here i've been uneasy about and kind of annoyed by where uh, Tim Cook can go talk platitudes all he wants about social justice and responsible being a responsible company, but he also is, and I understand it's the duty of himself for shareholders, is having to engage and also try to curry favor with the administration. And I, don't know, I just find that a very uneasy balance. And I thought this was a, I don't think this was like a, I don't think it's like a hit job article at all. I just thought it was a very interesting analysis of that relationship. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted too, um, because one of the things that I am that be am becoming more and more bothered by are the you know people who basically just put up with Trump because he enacts a lot of the policies they like, which you know I think is probably the reason why almost every Senate Republican <laughs> just sort of goes along with him is they're willing to put up with all the bullshit as long as they get their tax cuts and um, entitlement cuts or reforms as they would say. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, it's, it's, um, it's tough when, when someone sort of is taking all the good while ignoring the bad, I just don't think you really get to, to do that. And it's, to be very, very clear here, like this is not a situation where um, there are just like I'm not suggesting that in order to like someone's policies, you literally have to agree with every single policy they have. Like, of course, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're going to disagree with some of the policy positions that someone within your party has. But mm-hmm. But for someone is, yeah. who's locking up kids in cages and is inciting violence across the country and the world, you know, that that's something different. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, Trump can ask, uh, Tim Cook to get into a uh, Hunter Biden's iCloud account and just kill three birds with one stone. <laughs> it's funny cause it's almost not true. Um, yeah. So that, that it's an interesting article. People should, people should go read it. And then, Again, a lot of a lot of context and interesting stuff uh, related to um, kind of parallels to the NBA China thing. All uh, right, uh, Catalina. I don't think there's much. I think people should go listen to Upgrade last week. Catalina just basically the 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 one sentence thing is probably don't upgrade. I mean, actually, really don't upgrade. I think even if this what if you are not cognizant of the fact that this is a major uh, architectural change release, um, if you rely on your Mac, you should probably stay like one version behind. Always, especially if you do anything that's not that ever like relies on like stuff that actually directly interacts with the system, like audio or video stuff. Like right now on Catalina, 
like Photoshop and Lightroom are like extremely broken. Like to the point, like it's, it's very bad. Um, so yeah, people should probably sit that out for a bit. Yeah. We, you know, I think we sort of call out, you know, folks like Jason and Mike sometimes where we disagree with their views on kind of the Mac and iPad in general. Um, but I'll say that Jason's review of Catalina and then his sort of summary of that review on upgrade this week are, are were excellent. And the, his, Six Colors review will uh, be in the notes here. And yeah, the, the takeaway message really is that, you know, you should really, really not upgrade to this thing right now. Um, there's a ton to consider with 32-bit support being completely dropped. Um, and then there's also a lot to consider with all of the new uh, permissions stuff that you have to kind of navigate through. I liked on on upgrade where Jason mentioned document scanners like eight times, and that makes it sound like he also owns a very very old scan snap that probably <laughs> right. is broken. Exactly. Um, yeah, this is um this is this is different for me because I mean you'll know this like I mean I'm I'm always a day one upgrade. You love upgrade. like even oh I hundred percent love it love software up software updates and and uh, <laughs> dark mode those are like those are my two things like you know give me give me all that put it on your tombstone. Um, exactly loved his family Uh, and loved uh day one software updates (laughs) exactly but yeah this is the first version of macOS that i've not upgraded to on day one since probably since i've owned a mac i mean i've i've always been 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 right on it you installed mojave right when it came out oh yeah day one of course had to had to get dark that was hey talk about that was the uh that was both things colliding that was day one software upgrade and dark mode do you use dark mode on your mac of course uh also or was dark wait was dark mode the version before that i don't know it was, it was mojave uh also real quick going back to the iphone 11 pro light mode no dark mode no dark mode no you're insane monster. no dark, dark no mode. no get out of here whenever when that thing came out with instagram makes it made a dark mode no oh, stop it so get out good no oh the the let dark a, mode let and, in the and, light oh. No, the Insta the Instagram dark mode is that and Tweetbot are like the two best dark mode apps that I use. Prejud- sorry, updating it. I'm prejudiced against large screen phones and dark mode. No, <laughs> bad, very bad. But anyway, so w- with Catalina, you know, the way that I would look at it is, I would I would actually go through the trouble of validating that I didn't have anything currently that was 32 bit only, which I don't think I do, but I I would go through the diligence of validating that. And there's a handful of ways to to go about doing so. I would also jump through all the permissions hoops that you have to jump through. There's been a ton of great screen caps going around of people booting into Catalina for the first time after upgrading, and they're just inundated with dialogue boxes asking them for permissions um, from various apps to access different parts of their system. I would go through all of that stuff and have already upgraded and continued my day one upgrade streak if there was anything worth upgrading for. And I think that's the big problem with Catalina is there's there's just nothing there right now because the whole Mac Catalyst thing still seems just really bad and hard to develop against and there just aren't really any compelling apps out there yet 
and then Jason made the point that that the, the sidecar thing is is really not I would that I would never yeah I would never use the sidecar thing um and yeah I mean if 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 those two things aren't really doing anything for you then I'm just I'm not really sure what else Catalina brings to the table so like why go through all that trouble and because like my my view with macOS in the past has been like a, a lot of fe- a lot of releases haven't necessarily had some like killer feature that I needed right away, but it was like such a low friction process that, and it was always so stable that I just was like, eh, you yeah, know, whatever, I'll throw this on there and 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 go with it. But you know, I'm I'm not going to go through all this work to only end up with a newer version of the OS that doesn't really offer me anything. And what's and what's crazy too is it's not like there's some killer feature out there that's you know coming out later in the fall or something. It's like you're you look at this thing and you're like, like when when am I gonna upgrade? Do you remember when everybody was all mad at Dropbox like a couple mm-hmm. months ago? Yeah, that's the whole thing where everybody's like, oh yeah, iCloud iCloud shared folders because like every every podcaster is like, oh yeah, we like being able to share audio files that way. But it's not like. That they pushed back that feature. That's the one feature I think people are waiting for because it kept eating everybody's data. Like I don't like that's where I would I it would it like plus five years for any feature on uh, Apple's part that requires me to trust it with all my data. Like for as much shit as people give Dropbox and the fact that they raise prices, so it's now um one hundred and twenty dollars a year. Like I, I trust that it's not going to eat my data, and if something does happen. It has a versioning history where I can go back 30 days and undelete files and go fix stuff in case my my Mac is just go just something crazy or catastrophic happens. I I don't I don't know like the whole like I um, enhanced iCloud features I think are the only immediate usability draw to the operating system and that just seems like not worth it. Right. Uh, all right. Um, couple of quick hits and then we'll do chef specials. These should be like two minutes apiece. So uh, there was an interview with the CEO of Logitech on The Verge. I think it was on their podcast, which I don't listen to, but they do good recaps on their website whenever there's something interesting that comes out of it. Um, and this was uh, kind of feeds into the TiVo conversation we've been having, where their CEO says that um, he's basically unsure of how long the Harmony remote and that division is going to be around. And he also puts in uh, in perspective that saying that, uh, quote, it's a small business. Um uh, that and also that the remote business is about six percent of the size of the Logitech keyboard business, which as some like as people like us who are kind of, like not home theater nerds, but like we appreciate having a a nice remote and that and like kind of like that home automation stuff. I I know that like a, a two hundred fifty dollar like fancy home theater remote kind of seems like a very two thousand eight thing, especially with streaming boxes. But I had no idea that that business unit was that small. I don't know. It's just super interesting. This was very, very surprising to me as well. Um, I, I guess there, there are probably other ways now with like, is, is it HDMI CEC? Is that the auto switching? Yeah. That's the one that accidentally turns my sound, sound bar to Bluetooth every time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I think there are technologies like that now where you can make kind of these one button setup processes kind of like what Harmony does, you know, possible. Cuz really, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, 90% of what I use 
my harmony for is the activities, right? Like the ability to tap one button and have all the inputs to all my devices be set right away. That's that's the the key feature. Um and I actually, you know, have also come to really, really like the lady in a can integration as well, which work works works very, very well. I'm sure there's sort of ways that you can like replicate some of that stuff, but I don't know. I just, this is, I guess, kind of just my old man moment, but like, I've got this Harmony remote setup that I just really like. I mean, I bought that UK <laughs> Harmony Elite on that, <laughs> that weird Black Friday sale a few years back. And I, 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 I still, I love that thing. Um, and don't really see myself changing that part of my, my setup for a while. Yeah, that remote, and again, great recommendation from you, that remote kicks ass for one particular reason, which is that it has uh, programmable uh, buttons at the bottom where you can set it to a specific scene on your lights. Yeah. And it's so nice to not even have to do, use your voice and to just simply like put the lights in your living room exactly the way you'd want them to watch TV. And then you, and you have two of them where you can then put it right back. Like It's just so nice. I've been a little lazy with that. I, I messed around with that some when I first got it. I thought the hue integration was really novel but that's another thing where i just think like the the lady in a can stuff is just you know to me that's kind of the way that i'll I'll typically interact with lights but but i but i totally get that um the the harmony stuff is neat too yeah i'm finding i'm not doing that much with uh voice activation of the lights just because i'm i'm kind of particular about like what brightness i want to be like just whenever you say like uh hey amazon device uh turn on the living room lights like it just does i think it by default it just does whatever they were before and if it was nighttime that means they're usually pretty dim so then if i do that when i get home at six o'clock like that's not that useful and then i don't know the phrasing to tell it to put them at like an adequate amount of brightness yeah that that stuff gets a little wonky i so that's where that's not helpful to me like that's where having um like the tap switch or the clicker dimmer switch at the entrance um, and just like kind of scattered around the house or just using my phone just seems easier. Like saying, Hey, like as I'm leaving, Hey, uh, Amazon device, turn off all the lights. Like that's great. But turning them on, I, I think it's, it's not as useful. So one thing to look at is, uh, I don't know how much you've messed with this, but the, um, the lady in a can routine functionality that, that stuff, that stuff is really, really good because, you you know you set a command which you can specify and you can have the you know this series of actions that happen and that sort of obscures all the like weird phrasing and stuff because you can specify certain rooms with certain hue scenes and all that good stuff with just one simple voice command and you don't need to worry about the like weird specific hue phrasing so like the big one for us here in the house is we have a command that's just bedtime which basically just it turns off the TV, it dims all of the hue lights so that we can, you know, still see and stuff, but you know, as we're getting ready for bed, the lights are on, you know, all dimmed. Um and that that works really well. I had a question, and sorry, this turned into a much bigger topic than I expected. Um what do people do? Because I really I noticed recently that if I like if I accidentally like my the echo spot in my bedroom actually picked up my voice instead of the living room one. And it uh, I was I was telling it to turn on the TV. What do people do if they have a house with like four TVs? Like because apparently every echo in the house responds to it. 
the Harmony, um, I think the Harmony skill actually has specific support for that. And you, you have to basically name your TVs. So you'd have to say, you'd have to label like your family room TV and you'd say, Hey, turn on my family room TV. But then what if you're saying just, Hey, change the channel on ESPN. Do you literally have to say, Hey, change the channel on family room TV to ESPN. That's very wordy. I think it's smart enough where it routes that command to the device that you <laughs> kicked off the activity for. But I'm, I mean, I, as a one TV household, I am not the right person to ask. Based off my experience with Nest, I'm, I'm not thinking the smart home stuff is actually that smart since apparently it basically just pretends my house doesn't exist anymore. Smart, smart home stuff is a, it's still a, a, mess, a, a, a slow week, a slow week. We should revisit like all of our smart home stuff, but smart, yeah, smart home stuff sucks. Um, <laughs> what happened to the optimist? <laughs> I think that the hue stuff is really good. I actually think my August smart lock is pretty good. It is. Yeah. Um, most everything's a garbage and and the, and the harmony stuff is great. The hard the harmony stuff is actually probably like my favorite. Yeah, the harmony stuff is very good if you have it set in an extremely specific way, like the way which, it, which, it functional. Which I do. <laughs> okay, well, okay, we're gonna table this because it's gonna take forever, and I and I have like one other quick thing I want to talk about. But yeah, but it's like the way that you now have like forty uh, scenes inside the Amazon app for every favorite channel you have, like it's 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 a mess. Yeah, but you don't. You really don't have to really interact with that stuff. What happens if like uh, Comcast changes the channel lineup? Like, do all your scenes break? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, well, that's not good. No. All right. Uh, Target purchased uh, from a like either a liquidation firm or a private equity firm. They bought the rights to be able to have ToysRS.com product listings redirect to tar- uh, Target.com. I think that's actually kind of a smart way to make money when a company goes out of business. Yeah, I, to me, this seems like a complete win-win. Yeah, well, the other side doesn't really win because only the creditors win, but... Well, but you know what I mean. Sure. All right, uh, and then Sonos, only in the Netherlands, is going to uh, rent people Sonos speakers? Was it the Netherlands or was it New Zealand? Uh, something to, yeah, the Netherlands. Oh, you can only, and only 500 homes get to use it. Uh, and it's called Sonos Flex because everything in the world is called Plus, Max, or Flex. Um, <laughs> and for 15 euros, is that a euro symbol? Uh, you can get two Sonos One speakers uh, for 25 euros a month. Wait, the Netherlands? Where? Where's the Netherlands? That's Denmark, right? Yes. Oh, okay, good. So that is the one in Europe. Okay. <laughs> I know New Zealand is the one that's to the left, not to the left, is west of Australia. Not to the left. Okay. Anyway, it's interesting. I don't, everything is a subscription. It's, it's a little much, but whatever. And also the, the Sonos is such a, such a weird company because like the Sonos Why are they a public company? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, And like the, the Sonos one is it's a great product. And it's super reasonably priced, but then it's like their subwoofer is like six hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and it's like if you want to do the whole thing where you do a beam to Sonos ones and the sound bar, it's it's like more money than buying a really nice receiver and speakers. It's just it's it's very strange. Yeah, like this seems like, you know, you know how the whole, like the old racket used to be, you'd rent a cable modem from your provider? Like it seems like yeah. that. 
Like uh, right. after a while, it really, really, really stops paying off. Well, and, and the fact that there's no um, like purchase option, there's like there's no like, hey, once you've made an equal number of monthly payments that would equal the purchase price, the thing is yours. Like that, that's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. Um, what we got for chef specials? So um, this is an Amazon related pick. Obviously, um, lots of um, issues with Amazon, which we bring up on the show. But this is a, a positive Amazon change, I think, that I experienced recently. So you've heard about the Kohl's thing, right? Where you can bring your returns into Kohl's? Yes. Also the UPS store. Yes. So that, that that's my pick. So I, I made a return recently. I don't really return a bunch of stuff to Amazon, but had this return. Uh, first one I had done in a while. and. I had specifically kept a cardboard box because I knew that I'd have to ship this thing back mm-hmm. um, and you know, went to go uh, print the return label. And it was like, oh, hey, you can just take this thing to the UPS store, have them scan this QR code, and that's it. No, you know, no need to package anything up. And no return shipping cost. Exactly. And I knew that's how it worked with Kohl's, but I was unaware that they were also starting to do this with the UPS store. Um, and you know, they, they had previously offered like no shipping cost if you dropped it off at a store, but you still did have to package it up yourself, mm-hmm. which is always kind of a hassle. So that's great. That's a, that's a really, really good customer experience. So good on you, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Um, and then you just, you just show them a little code on your phone and then they, they take care of it. It's cool. Uh, I'm not sure I have one. I think really most of mine was just tripling down on step two, but there was one other one. Hold on, what was it? I mean, I'm just gonna leave it there. I don't think I have a lot. Um, yeah, seriously, secure your accounts, back up your stuff. Yeah, that, that'll be my pick. Backblaze B2. It's super affordable. It's great. And if you're a nerd, it's, it's, it's the right thing for you. 